listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. of Illinois of Chicago College of Pharmacy received an unrestricted educational grant from the FDA REMS Committee to provide continuing education to healthcare providers on the safe use of opioids. This CE series used academic detailing to deliver educational content. Academic detailing is a one-on-one healthcare provider outreach program. It provides accurate, non-commercial, and up-to-date drug information. It is a unique interactive program tailored for each healthcare provider through customized and focused discussions. The typical academic detailing visit lasts about 15 to 20 minutes and provides 0.5 hours of free continuing education. Our pharmacists are trained to provide tailored, unbiased, up-to-date drug information to assist clinicians in making evidence-based prescribing decisions for their patients. Hey. UIC, University of Illinois, Chicago, expands its academic detailing initiative. We're really excited about it. The Pharmacy Podcast Network and supporting this, Illinois Advance, the nation's largest academic detailing unit, takes its existing opioid uh, program nationwide while extending its efforts in Illinois to address other disease states. This is led by pharmacists. So at the Pharmacy Podcast Network, we are so excited to be working with Dr. Mary Moody and many of her colleagues on academic detailing. And you know what? This is an opportunity for our pharmacists and the roles, the changing roles, the expanding roles of pharmacists throughout healthcare. And think about embracing that leading role in accelerating academic detailing in that field. And you think of the efforts put into communications between pharmacists, physicians, and what physicians needs to understand about opioid use disorder. We're excited to continue this program with the University of Illinois Chicago School of Pharmacy. Hey, welcome back. We are here um, again talking with um, the team from University of Illinois Chicago. I am so glad to have Sharag back. Um, you uh, had a wonderful episode that you did. Uh, Illinois Advance Opioid Safety um, Unveiled was one of our first episodes um, with Dr. Moody. But Trog, welcome back. Thanks. It's uh, it's exciting to be back. All right. You have a special guest. I'm going to kick this show off to you. I'm going to have some questions and follow up later. But Trog, uh, it's all yours. Thank you so much, Todd. Um, so uh, today we have a very special guest. Um, one of the things that Illinois Advance has been working on over the last year is collaborating with the local initiatives. Um, and one of those local initiatives that we collaborated with is Project Open. Um, and today we have uh, the director of Project Open, um, joining us on this podcast. Uh, he is also the director of Revenue Cycle and Decision Support at KSB, Akil Khan. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Excited for the talk today. Thanks for being here, Akil. Um, Akil and I have been uh, building a uh, relationship as colleagues um, over the last year. Uh, and so today we'd like to tell you a little bit about the history of what Project Open is, Akil's involvement in that, and then how Illinois Advance got involved um, in the work, the really beautiful work that they're doing out in that community. Um, and then hopefully talk a little bit about how 
you know, Illinois Vans can be involved in collaborations in communities all over. Um, so Akio, I will kick it over to you first to talk a little bit about um, KSB, about the starts of Project Open. Sure, yeah. So uh, KSB, or, or Catherine Shaw Batea Hospital, is one of the last independently run non-for-profit hospitals in the country. We're about 100 miles west of Chicago, directly west on I-88. Small town, hometown of Ronald Reagan, hometown of John Deere, Charles Walgreens. So pretty historic place. Um, and, to, and before we talk about Project Open, which started in 2018 uh, through a HRSA Rural Community Opioid Response Program, I have to go back a few years to kind of set the stage for uh, where we at today. And the year is 2015, and our community experienced three fatal overdoses in this period of 10 days. And that really got you know local officials, city administrators, public health, the hospital, uh, incredibly concerned about you know what the current infrastructure is around addressing uh, opioids and, and, and overdoses. Uh, that is when then police chief Danny Langloss, who is now our city manager, visited a, a small town in Massachusetts, Glasser, Massachusetts, met with the uh, law enforcement uh, officials over there and learned of a police deflection program. They brought that police deflection program back to Dixon, Illinois, and it was the second in the country where instead of uh, coming into the police with your uh, drugs and paraphernalia and being uh, and apprehended and, and, and run through a number of punitive measures, they worked to help that individual get placed into treatment. So this is 2015, where it is now publicly known that, hey, you can come to the police department, turn in your drugs and get help. Of course, a lot of skepticism. People thought it was initially a trap. But after the first few successful occurrences of getting people into treatment in, in, in these situations early on, I mean, these are the, the police chief himself driving people an hour or two away into treatment. Uh, the program really started to gain some steam, really started to get some traction. And individuals started to take advantage of it and, and uh, kick off the second police deflection program in the country. But now the year is 2018. The problem is unfortunately not getting any better. Still having a number of fatal and non-fatal overdoses. The federal government, uh, through HRSA, releases their R-Corp program, again, Rural Communities Opioid Response Program, KSB Hospital in tandem with local public health departments in Lee and Ogle County, both in Northwest Illinois, apply for a planning grant. It's a $200,000 planning grant. And you're looking at prevention, treatment, and recovery as it relates to substance use disorder with a specific lens on opioid use disorder um, and, and working to identify gaps, uh, complete assessments, and, and really look at how your community is able to handle what is the infrastructure between law enforcement, public health, behavioral health, uh, hospitals, social service agencies, uh, and other community-based organizations to address the opioid epidemic. And we did a number of different projects in this one year between the two counties, things such as the key informant survey, the uh, adverse opioid medication event survey in hospitals, sequential intercept model. And in that one year, we really were able to distill down to, you know, a few uh, key priorities. Um, you know, the fact that we, you know, various uh, agencies are tackling the problem in isolation, that we're not coordinating very well, we're taking care of the same patients, but in isolation, we're treating the symptom, maybe could do better on treating the cause, there's a, a asymmetric availability of treatment resources between the counties. Uh, but the number one thing that came out of our um, analysis and needs assessment, you know, came from the key informant survey, where we surveyed individuals who were actively using or former users, and one of the key questions was, how did you first get your opioid supply? What was the first source? 
And, you know, a common misconception at the time was is that this was some underground drug trade or some cartel activity. But 47% of respondents in that key informant survey identified getting their first opiate supply from their doctor's office. And that really helped us, you know, understand that, whoa, this is not some sort of back alley drug trade. This is happening oftentimes very innocently in the prescriber's office. So the number one priority that came out of that planning phase was prescribing practices. We applied for implementation funding in 2018-19, got it three years, $1 million, expanded to three counties, and that opioid uh, you know, prescribing practices was our top priority. And that's when we became aware of opioid academic detailing. Um, Illinois Advance hadn't joined the stage yet, but I did that just to set the scene over there, KSB was the fiscal agent for the uh, grant. We called it a Project Open, which was um, Opioid Prevention and Engagement Network, operating in three domains, prevention, treatment, and recovery. Prevention to reduce the occurrence of opioid use disorder and, and find and address at-risk individuals. Treatment, the main pillars were to expand access to evidence-based practices, uh, medication-assisted recovery, Narcan, syringe service programs, which could you know, be dovetailed into harm reduction, uh, among you know, some other things, school-based health counselors, and you know, we'll talk about that time permitting uh, here in a little bit. And then finally, recovery, you know, improving the recovery infrastructure, starting a recovery uh, community organization, looking at you know, workplace opportunities, second-chance employers, and, and the likes. And we went on for three years and uh, we were initially wanted to do opioid academic detailing in-house, partnering with the USC College of Pharmacy to train some of our in-house pharmacists and prescribers. This is in the fall of 2019, spring of 2020. And then we all know what happened in the spring of 2020 with COVID, uh, really stunting our progress over there. Um, and then, yes, further down the road, we got connected with Illinois Advance and very excited to talk about your guys' impact in our area. But hope that sets the stage for Project Open and our goal. Uh, yeah, started with uh, trying to improve the infrastructure. Our Some of our outcomes were to reduce the uh, occurrence of opioid use disorder, reduce the average day supply of opiate prescriptions, uh, improve the re recovery infrastructure with peer support, recovery coaches. Um, and uh, we have been uh, chugging along ever since. Thanks for that history. That was really uh, beautiful. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that I really, really found, even outside of just our work, one of the things that I find really like beautiful about the goals of Project Open is to unite uh, communities and get multiple communities and multiple institutions um, and groups and individuals and large organizations working together. You had said earlier that like different people were siloed. And I think one of the challenges with this work when you're trying to make some sort of like large scale change is getting multiple people on board. I've been to a number of presentations where it's like a community trying to get together to talk about how can we all practice the same or similar? How can we at least have the same goal? And so what you all have set out uh, in that uh, area is really beautiful. And like uh, having detailed for four or five years and just gone to a lot of different clinics, it's really cool to see um, communities attempting to unite and multiple organizations like attempting to uh, like unite and address something from uh, multi factorial, like, a, like from multiple angles. Cause I feel like, you know, there's, this is a quite a, a, a challenging issue and it isn't just like, one solution you have to sort of attack it from so many different angles and i think there's like i remember correctly about 20 or 30 different organizations involved in project yeah Open. yeah so number of different sectors involved in the project and you kind of nailed it i mean to come together and trying to have this you know this this mission and this vision the first thing you guys you know i would recommend any community do is establish a, a sense of you know a common language 
uh, aligning on what the problem is, gaining all the different perspectives, then validating the correct perspectives with research. You know, we had groups who sat at the table, felt addiction was a personal choice and that we shouldn't be helping these individuals and that the punishment was the was the main, uh, you know, long-term treatment to help improve lives. You know, then fast forward, we know that that is, you know, has not the most effective way to handle this issue. And so we really started with uh, defining the common language and, and aligning on that element. And it, it, there were multiple meetings on mission and vision, that took the bulk of the majority of the planning grant. But yes, you nailed it. We've got folks from various different sectors that I touched upon, courts, law enforcement, public health, behavioral health, hospitals, social service agencies, transportation, um, universities, uh, again, like the University of Illinois at Chicago to get together. Everyone's got their approach to it. Everyone's got their priorities on it. But when we identified those common themes, how people attach to those themes, uh, we were successful and, and it, you know you can't get a whole group together and start talking some people disconnect from different topics they could get focused and so one of the things we did out the gate was create champion groups we created six different groups first one was prevention provider and treatment media and community relations workforce development technology and information systems and, and finally recovery so to your point it, it was a multi-pronged approach but prescribing practices was one of our top objectives and opioid academic detailing was one of the ways that we felt that we could address those prescribing practices and so you know that's when illinois advance came to the picture uh, but we did i mean we faced a number of barriers in the beginning as i mentioned misconceptions uh, misinformation um, belief that uh, people with an addiction couldn't be helped or that there was personal choice then you show research of genetic predispositions and environmental factors that influence that um, and how peer you know as, as important as treatment is peer support is equally important if not sometimes even more important uh, but when we got to the prescribing practice section of it, I mean, prescribers were initially uh, very apprehensive. Are you going to be changing my prescribing practice? Or are you going to be telling me how to prescribe and, and do medicine? Um, but really, it started with, no, are, are you aware of the Illinois Prescription Monitoring Program? Are you aware of the data that's available over there? And then opiate alternatives. And, and, and we'll talk about more about that programming that you guys have helped us develop and we've worked together about. But uh, yeah, multi-pronged problem. Um, but we felt that prescribing practices was one of the best ways to attack it out the gate. Yeah, you said something that I've dealt with in almost every interaction, like first interaction with a prescriber um, or provider is like, uh, are you going to tell me what to do or why are you here? And I think like, you know, one of the pretty unique things about academic detailing is the goal is to build relationships, to be a resource. Um, working with Project Open, it's been a, like we've been uh, collaborating for, uh, for, I guess, pretty close to almost two years in yeah. January was kind of the initial contact, but really for the last year, year and a couple months is really when we've been doing a lot of our visits with, you know, uh, the relationship continuing. But, you know, the, the, the beautiful opportunity with long-standing relationships through academic detailing and just long-standing relationships with communities is being able to build that trust over time um, and, you know, trying to understand truly the, the challenges and the struggles um, of prescribers. And interestingly, you know, I'm, we're housed in Chicago, so driving about two and a half hours outside of Chicago feels like I'm driving into a new country, honestly. I mean, it's like such a different world, but you know what? what's really beautiful is to begin to learn the struggles of a community, the successes of a community. I think one of the coolest things um, with going out in that area was the, the how receptive the prescribers were to us, how, um, I don't know, just united the, the whole community was. And like, it seemed like everyone was really on board um, to, 
you know, try and do better for the community. And it seems like, honestly, just like very invested. I think a lot of individuals are from that area that work there too, which is like, this is your hometown that you're trying to uh, establish and like build up. So it's really cool to be a part of um, an initiative like that. I think it's, yeah. And and the key thing that you guys did was coming to our area not trying to, you know, when COVID hit, we try to do it virtually. Again, we trained a number of our local providers, nurse practitioners, pharmacists on being able to do academic detailing. We felt that, you know, if you could teach a man to fish, we'd be able to do it ourselves for years to come. Uh, but the infrastructure was very difficult to support. Uh, when you guys came on site, met with the providers, very clearly shared the goals, laid the format of the program. It, it's really important to know providers want to do the right thing. They want to do right by their patients. It's it's do no harm um, and, and have the best information available to treat the providers. And you know, you and I have taught philosophical discussions as pain as the fifth vital sign, you know, back in the back in the day and how that might have led to the cause of increased supplies. I mean, there's a number of different issues that have brought us to where we're at today, um, contributing factors. And I think you can make arguments for many of them. But, um, you know, when we're trying to appease patient satisfaction scores and patients demanding, you know, opiate prescriptions or, or managing the pain versus prescriber setting expectations and and having that two way conversation. Uh, one of the big focuses in Project Open was facilitating that two-way conversation. We met with providers, and they were totally open to resources, totally open to assistance. And then we set out about trying to educate patients to have a conversation with their providers and ask questions and really make it a dialogue versus a one-way street so that uh, patients are better consumers of health information. And when they are prescribed opiate medications, they understand that, hey, look, we're, you know, you were given a 60-day supply. You don't have to have all 60. Stop with the pain ends, right? But that's, again, that was that story that came out of the key informants survey that individuals didn't really understand, did their whole 60-day supply, and then a chemical dependency, um, the likelihood of that increases. And so I got to give you guys credit for coming on site, really getting the lay of the land, meeting with the providers, meeting with the chief medical officers, uh, finding those champions and leveraging them to help you get into other practices. And, and, and again, tailoring the program to what we wanted. We had a vision of three different visits starting, you know, focused visits, short visits in the middle of the day, not doing them at the beginning where providers are distracted with what's coming up, not doing it at the end of the day when providers are tired and, and may not be receptive to the information, but inserting in the middle, kind of working with the office managers to schedule it and come and be very focused with literature, be very focused. Um, and, and no no one better uh, try to talk, talk about the format than you. So, I mean, if you don't mind, I think it'd be good for the listeners to understand how we approach academic detailing across multiple visits but now that's not always necessarily the only way to do it, just a way that we thought about doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we modeled the structure for this project off of some early um, detailing that had been done at UIC that we did in collaboration with one of our other departments or uh, one of our other research departments. So basically, as Akhil said, we did three, our goal was to do three visits with every prescriber with a couple months in between each visit. Um, we started on the first visit was the Illinois Prescription Monitoring Program. Our second visit was on opiate alternatives. So focusing on a couple um, pretty common conditions where opioids may have been used, but the evidence is really not that strong. Focusing on on osteoarthritis, chronic back pain, um, and fibromyalgia. Um, and then the last visit, um, or the last topic was on opioid use disorder, and it also include information on tapering opioids um, and uh, buprenorphine as well. And we didn't necessarily always follow that order of those three topics in a row, um, but we wanted to offer kind of a wide range to prescribers um, and tried to give a couple months in between. Uh, and then also, obviously, you know, those conversations would 
um, be far reaching and wide. And we had a lot of other sort of um, opioid topics that we could integrate. But those were our three kind of um, three topics we had leading the charge. Um, and uh, something to, to touch on something you said earlier, Akil, too. I think, you know, one of the biggest benefits of doing this was going out there. But also, I think, like most people that I speak with that uh, are working in this space, their goal is to do no harm and do best for their patients. But the pressures of being a prescriber today or a pharmacist today are pretty intense. You're expected to do a lot. You're expected to see a lot in your patients in a lot of different conditions. And one of the biggest things I found uh, the benefits of going out there was just an opportunity to continue that conversation about opioids and about safety in a way that was somewhat different from uh, conversations that have been had in the past, you know, not really necessarily trying to hammer prescribers over the head about, you know, doing something differently and more about trying to understand the challenges, what they've done that's successful. Um, I had a lot of different prescribers who had expressed um, when we would talk about naloxone and uh, discussing naloxone with our patients who are on opioids and potentially offering it if it's appropriate for them. Um, prescribers, when I would ask them, like, are you offering naloxone to your patients? And a lot of them were just like, I forgot. There's so many other things that we have to keep on track. So this just like brings it to the top of the list. Um, and so I think that's like a huge part of this is just going out there, engaging them in that conversation and, you know, I, yeah, trying to just continue the conversation on opioids in a way that's, you know, a little bit more open-minded, a little bit more empathetic, a little bit more understanding. And, you know, us continuing to come back, I think added to the validity of us and our work. Um, so yeah, that was the three that we focused on. We definitely have a lot more topics on opioids as well. Yeah, and I got to give you major kudos. You become uh, an ally and a resource. You come in, you came in with an inquisitive approach, asking questions instead of assuming that they're struggling with opioid prescriptions, asking, you know, how do you handle pain management? What do you do when a patient says this? And providing those resources. But again, it, it came from an asking a question standpoint to understand, not from a, you're doing it wrong. And, you know, we've talked about this with prescribers. Opioids are not bad. They have a place in medicine. They're very valuable tools. And it was just with the prescribers making them aware of the, you know, again, the resources, the prescription monitoring program. Do you check that in? I mean, with our, with our local providers, it was very difficult and arduous to log into another system and have that open and search patients. So we did our best to embed a link into the EMR for them to be able to better search. You have to give, you know, providers the tools. And I think that's really what opioid academic detailing does. It, it gives tools and resources. And I know you've got providers who might call you up on the sidebar. You know, I had an issue. How would you handle it? And you, you become friends and relationships. Um, we really thought that that might be stunted. We thought it'd be, sorry, we thought it'd be better suited if we had local providers doing that. But having you come from the Chicagoland area, somebody they've never met before, but the way you guys approached it, asked the questions, did the surveys and, and really worked with us and some of our provider champions on designing the program, really set it up for success. Um, so kudos to you guys and your team for coming in with an open template and, and tailoring it to each prescriber's questions and needs based off of what they told you in those initial meetings. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's the same for you, your group. The prescribers were so lovely. To be quite honest, my first day I was wandering through a hospital that I didn't know where I was going and everyone was so nice and someone complimented my glasses 10 minutes in and I was like this is the town I want to be in forever <laughs> every time I go out there, I'm like I think I need to buy a house in Dixon Illinois because I think this is my community but you know I, like <laughs> go ahead I'm sorry no I'm just saying it's a good place and I you know I just joke because Chicago is so starkly different you mentioned two and a half hours and you're nothing but cornfields but yeah you've got these places where it's tight-knit communities and people care and 
You know, it's a place where you can go to a restaurant and know everybody and go the next day and not know anyone. It's kind of one of those interesting uh, dynamics. And nice. so come in and get embedded. Of course, we need a warm handoff. I mean, we talk about barriers and engaging in local communities. You, I don't think you, you may have, you personally may have been able to come in cold and build relationships, but you really do need local providers and champions to help open doors. But after that, it's up to you guys to walk through the door, figure out the needs, fill the needs, right? Not sell a program, but identify needs for and, and tailor it to each individual provider. And that's how we create the stickiness. That's how they're willing to come back and meet. Um, but you've got to, you know, overcome that initial, are you coming in here to tell me how to practice medicine or, or you know, yeah. what, what are you really coming in here for? To look at my data and criticize um, or, 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 you know, different. So. Yeah, no, I think that building a relationship with the leadership yourself, Dr. John Plesha, some of the, those early adopters, like that was so huge just to, you know, basically for you guys to vet us and say that these guys are okay and we've worked with them and that that's huge. I mean, that's something we we are trying to work on with so many different organizations is how can we build a relationship with you know, the decision makers within the institution to get some of that large scale back. Because you're right, I very much agree with you. I would be incredibly skeptical if a stranger came into my office and was trying to talk to me about stuff, you know, and if someone I know or collaborated with vetted them, send me like, you know, told me about them, I think it adds to that. So you guys have been unbelievably, you know, helpful with that. Um, something I wanted to say that that came up, I think one of the, the coolest things about detailing is that approach of asking questions is out of genuine interest. You know, I think for us, it's like a really a chance to learn what's happening out in the world. We create this material. We talk to, you know, providers from, you know, all around the, the, the state and then all around the country as we've been doing more of our sort of REMS um, opioid academic detailing um, with pharmacists and nurses. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's really important for us to really understand the landscape. And I learn a lot by speaking with prescribers. I also think it lessens the, like, uh it helps lower the barrier a little bit too of like they're not just coming in to tell me what to do they're coming in to learn mm -hmm. about my practice and be a resource um so yeah i think that's like i i i think that's something inherent to academic detailing it should be like an inquisitiveness to learn what truly is happening at that clinic and even within a you know what even within ksb every prescriber is dealing with different things and different challenges from their own to their patients and all of that so it's you know i think it's pretty important for us to come in with that like open-mindedness to just understand what's going on within their practice yeah and when it comes from another clinician like yourself it that really adds validity to it so that was one of the biggest benefits of working with illinois advances that we're bringing in a professional team trained with resources an entire toolkit but you didn't walk in the door and start throwing everything at them. You start with laying the framework, getting the questions, understanding the need, tailoring the approach. And so uh, that was really one of the biggest benefits is having a, a vetted program. And I, and I know when we came in, there were options. Do one visit, two visits, six visits, the, the staggering the time frames, how to attack it, what specialties to go through first. And your guys' uh, advice and counsel throughout the process with the, marrying it to our needs and wants. Um, again, another big benefit of working with the Illinois Advanced Program. And again, I thank you for that. You guys have continued to engage in our community, still get good feedback from the providers. Um, and um, I'm sure on a future podcast, we'll be, be bringing on one of those providers to talk about their experience and how positive it's been. Yeah, but, be uh, from, from an administration standpoint, being able to just design the program up front, do all that upfront work, and then set you guys loose while just opening doors. And you guys then working to schedule the meetings and get in there kind of in a set and forget, right? Once we get going, you guys are meeting with it. And I think our stats are, I mean, 90 visits over the last one year, you know, 40 plus providers engaged. 
Um, in our ED, we've seen a reduction in, in opiate prescriptions, a shift over to nitrous and different things like that. Um, and I know we're still evaluating data on other, uh, other realms, but the working belief in theory is, is that you would, uh, you know, see a change, but maybe not see a change. Again, it depends on the individual practice. And that's yeah. what you can just come in and do and, and, and assess and go from there. Thanks. Yeah, I think also sometimes like the change is also like just re-engaging prescribers. Like one of the biggest takeaways I took from after speaking to a number of prescribers and they had, they had expressed some frustration or challenges with um, getting patients to consider alternative means, non-pharmacological alternative means or other pharmacological means. One of the things that I ended up asking prescribers was like, as a clinician, as a prescriber, what sort of space are we allowing our patients to think about their why, like their reason for making change? Because I think like it's easy to be like, hey, you need to do this because it's better for your health. Um, when someone tells you, like, I think it's hard to want to make that change. But if you can come to some internal motivation of why you want to make that change, maybe there's a real reason. So um, advice I've been sharing with prescribers that I've heard from other prescribers is they'll use like goal directed. Um, they'll set goals. So like uh, ask a patient, like, you know, what is it that you want to do with pain reduction? Because you realistically, you might not be able to get down to zero, but are you trying to run around with your grandchild? Are you trying to climb up the stairs? You know, whatever that is, and sort of letting the patient um, be a primary uh, or have the patient play a primary role in that and using that as a um, determinant if like therapy is successful or treatment is successful. And I think that's been um, really interesting. And, you know, just uh, yeah, to reiterate, like, you know, thinking about what what are we offering our patients in space and thinking about their own internal motivations. So that just came from like, listening to some of the struggles of prescribers or challenges and, you know, being able to reflect that. So that's been really cool because that's like uh insight that we can share with other prescribers as right. well. And that's part of detailing is also like, what can I learn from prescribers to be able to share with other prescribers and, you know, continue to add to that network, even with, you know, institutions that are completely separate. It's a chance to be like, well, this worked in this area. Maybe this is something that can work for you. And so that's been really cool as well. And so, I mean, you touched on exactly that point, right? Creating the two-way conversation and through that counseling and through being a resource to the providers, you help engage some of those questions. Um, we did a we did a, a, a you know community-based education on how to manage pain and what questions to ask your provider. Again, trying to engage the patient in that. So we did that from a community approach. You're doing it from a provider approach to do that same thing, make it a two-way street. And and I know that I'm, I'm sure you can you can uh, validate this that from your first visits to your more recent visits, I'm sure the curriculum and the conversation has totally shifted from what you mentioned, the things you've learned from providers, the various needs, then tailoring the subsequent visits with that provider and other providers based off what you've learned. Um, and so it, it, it's important to know that you know don't get stuck to a template, lay out a plan, but know that plans change, know that needs change. I mean, when we started the grant in 2018. To when we are finishing, you know, and when we wrapped up at least the formal grant period in 2022, the language we use changed, the approach, the questions, the understandings, and then, and the, you know, within all those prevention, treatment, and recovery pillars. And so, with the academic detailing, I know that from the when we first laid out a plan to what I've been seeing lately, that's adapted and rightfully so because the needs have changed. When we started, fentanyl wasn't even a, wasn't well known. Now fentanyl is the you know the number one discussion item as it relates to opioid use disorder or one yeah. of the top ones, and so uh, we had to adapt. Yeah, um, Todd, is there anything um, about Illinois Vance's work with Project Open about Project Open that we we didn't cover that you would like us to potentially or like us to discuss or re-explain? 
Well, I've really enjoyed the discussion. I see things from a, another perspective, which is the network that you're building within the state of Illinois. However, how do we take this program? And this is just a question for both of you. How do we take what you've learned and what successes you've had and push this through other states who may not have as refined or mature uh, projects that um, that you have through Illinois Advance and working with schools of pharmacy? Because I think it is imperative. I think it is critical that our future pharmacists understand the opportunity here to impact the realm of addiction and opioid use um, disorder specifically, and balancing that with not vilifying opioids in the hands of intelligent, well-documented, evidence-based uh, treatment between a physician, a pharmacist, and the patient. And, um, and, and this is something that I'm very passionate about because I spent years in medication-assisted treatment and really understanding the modalities and the polypharmacy and 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 uh, prescribing kind of getting um, out of hand by multiple physicians not really being documented and how pharmacists were taking control of this. So I wanted the 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 viewpoints of both of you. How do we expand this nationally? Right, you want to go first, Romy? Um, you can go first, sir. <laughs> um, I think it. So you can have a program from a large university or from a state top down, but if the communities are not ready for it, or they're not receptive to it, or they're not even open to it, or they're looking at other things, no, nothing matters. So to really get this into other communities and to get this into other states, it has to start at the grassroots level, right? And you've got to engage the key stakeholders. And oftentimes you do that by defining the need and you do that with data and you show Okay, how many near overdoses were there as it relates to opioid academic yep. detailing? I know there's multiple different types of academic detailing, and our future in this area is looking at smoking cessation, chronic disease, other exactly. things as it relates to opioid academic detailing, defining the problem and getting at least the key stakeholders to align that, yes, this is a problem, right? Accepting that it's a problem, number one. Then assessing the problem with various assessments and surveys, and in that, I'm sure communities will identify well, it might not be first, but it'll be somewhere in the top 10 that prescribing is something that we need to look at. And provider uh, education, per patient education um, is something that we need to address. And then that's when you can find a program like Illinois Advance. But if your hearts are closed and the minds are closed and the need is, and is believed to be not be a, a real problem, none of this matters. So you got to start with the community, define and agree on the need and then work with champions. You've got to find provider champions. I was not a clinician. If I, you know, if I didn't have my champions, if I didn't have the chief medical officer or some of the key uh, family med doctors who really helped us push and get in there and help us tailor the program, it would have been tough to get started. But after that, then it was a snowball effect. Then it was, hey, provider, X, introduce us to your partner, introduce us to your partner and other specialties, other other hospitals. And it caught caught like a fire, but the communities have to be open to you coming in first. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a that's a good answer. I, I like that a lot. That was really that was great. Um, you know, I think a lot of the the detailing end is somewhat similar too. I think so. Um, if you already are act doing academic detailing, um, and you have topics that you think are of value to the community, and you obviously created that topic because you think that is of value, I think just like outreach to organizations that work in that space, maybe just like reaching out to local. Um, you know, organizations that help manage patients who are on opioids or taking opioids or struggling with opioids, I think is a good way to do some of that outreach. Um, you know, honestly, uh, 
we're part of a larger institution. So there was some like pre-existing relationships between uh, some of the individuals that worked at KSB and some that were connected to the University of Illinois Chicago. But I, honestly, just outreach to different organizations and people um, in your community, um, if it's somewhat related to the work that you're doing. Like as I said, Project Open has like 20 different organizations that are focused on opioids. And so that's potentially 20 different organizations. If Project Open didn't exist as a one large umbrella network, one way that we could have started to do some outreach in the in that tri-county area of the Lee over in Whiteside counties, we probably could have just started reaching out to those individual organizations. Today, we're an academic detailing group that does work within the space of opioids. Would you be interested in learning a little bit about our work and how we could help your community? Would be potentially if a structure like um, Project Open didn't exist. Um, if you are very early on in your process and you're not an academic detailer, I would say there are training organizations like NARCAD that can train you to do some academic detailing. If you're interested in learning this sort of work and learning this sort of communication um, approach. So there's definitely a lot of different ways to do that. I think one for us, um, I mean, persistence, I have legitimately sent hundreds of emails to so many different prescribers as part of this project over the last year, just trying to get people to respond. Heels, you know, helped out with that too. So I think persistence is a really big thing. Um, and just like reaching out to anyone that is willing to listen, because I will be telling everybody about the work that we do. And I, I, we have a hat for work that I wear even when I'm just out on the weekends. And so there's always just try, opportunities to try and let people know who we are and what we're doing. If there's, a, if there's you know, opioid stewardship committees in various areas, you know, that is something that is starting to, you know, pop up a lot as well. And so if there's, if you're trying to break into other states or other areas, maybe trying to find a regional stewardship committee and engaging with them to share what, what folks do. Um, uh, but I do think as time has gone on, the awareness to academic detailing for various topics uh, is starting to increase. So that bodes well for the future. Any future pharmacists or any future projects, um, you know, follow the money. You see where the grants are going, see where the feds are, you know, giving out money. And, and, and that's another avenue as well to help break into some spaces. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I'm so impressed with the dedication between um, organizations within the state of Illinois that focuses on opioid um, treatment, as well as uh, helping um, our providers, our pharmacists, our physicians, our nurse practitioners uh, to understand how to get more involved and how to reach out to each other to build additional collaboration. And it starts with trust. Um, and and I, I, I love the fact that UIC, University of Illinois of Chicago, and the School of Pharmacy is committed to this project. We are committed to this project of Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you'd like to link up with Dr. Moody, uh, Sharag, or the rest of their team, please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast Network or the UIC University of Illinois uh, Chicago. We will have a link in the show notes in order to connect with this organization. Sharag, um, I just um, wanted to thank you. And um, Akhil, I wanted to thank you as well. You guys did an amazing job today. Thank, thank you for having us. And thank you to Akhil for directing a really amazing community initiative. It's really like, with all honesty, it's really one of the most beautiful things I've seen as an academic detail to see a community unite like that and really work towards like making it like better for the area. So it's really, it's awesome that you're part of that. Uh, it, it took an entire village um, and it, it took key leaders and champions. And so any other, any listeners out there, if you are struggling with a local community initiative or trying to get something off the ground in your area, don't hesitate to reach out as well. Uh, we offer myself as a resource and any member of our team, uh, you can reach out through the USC College of Pharmacy or uh, you know directly to KSB Hospital. 
we'd be happy to advise and consult on ways to get a, a local network going and start to engage the various sectors uh, to define the need and accept the need and then begin to accept help from experts like uh, U.S. Ecology Pharmacy, so and Illinois Advance. Appreciate everything you guys have done for our area. Thank you again. Thank you.